Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Now, today's topic is the real reason you can't stop overcommitting and what to do about it. Now, this theme comes out of my work uh, over the years, especially the last couple of years, uh, with a number of pastors and leaders who, even though they may be engaging uh, EH discipleship, doing daily offices, Sabbathing each week, uh, you may even have a spiritual director, they find themselves consistently overcommitted, overloaded, doing two or three different jobs with side gigs, uh, and uh, still having a real problem slowing down. I mean, Jesus did not do 80-hour weeks and being consistently in a rush. And so we got into this theme of introjects, which is what we're going to talk about today. Now, I know this well myself, the struggle, the challenge of actually slowing down uh, to not overcommit and getting at the roots of the issue. Now, as many of you know, we do an EH discipleship course that we've developed over the years, a part one and a part two, that uh, we recommend people do in their churches now. And it gets at deep messages uh, underneath uh, in our icebergs that drive us out of our family of origins and cultures uh, that cause us to become overcommitted. So, for example, in part one, emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, one of the questions that you get at in uh, this workbook and uh, is an application around what are the negative scripts that you're carrying perhaps out of your family of origin. So it may be scripts that were handed to you like <clears throat> out of your history of your family, like you don't have a right to enjoy your life. Uh, it's not okay to make mistakes or don't trust people. Always be nice or don't feel what you feel. Don't ask questions. Don't assert or use your voice. And so people like uh, this fellow named Dan who grew up in a family where if he got an A in his report card, he was punished by his father for not getting an A+. So his negative script as he struggles with perfectionism and workaholism that damages his relationships is get it right all the time and don't make mistakes. Uh, a young woman named Allison, her parents divorced when she was seven, but her fa father promised at the divorce that I'll love you and I'll always be there for you. The problem was he got remarried and she rarely saw him over the next 20 years. And her negative script was don't trust people. Uh, another woman named Jane, her parents had immigrated to the United States from China, and uh, but her parents worked 12-hour days, six and a half days a week, and they had one message for their children, study, make it in America. And even though Jane graduated at the top of her class, the negative script she carried with us deep inside of her was, your worth and value are based on your achievements and your performance. And so actually in part two of the EH Discipleship course, which is called Emotionally Healthy Relationships, uh, you do end up doing a, a genogram of your family going back three, four generations, looking at themes and trends and uh, profound legacies that we carry with us. And uh, it's like Thomas Keating uh, once wrote, the Holy Spirit is like a divine archaeologist. He digs through layers of our lives, just like in a Middle Eastern tell or archaeological site with one civilization built on another over history. That God, the Holy Spirit, digs through our inner lives, through the bedrock of our inner lives, to free us in Christ. And so as I was working with some and mentoring uh, some type A, highly visionary, very gifted leaders uh, over a period of time, 
recognizing that there was another level going on here that kept them being overcommitted, overloaded, constantly running and pressured. I actually called uh, an old professor of mine that I'd had in my uh, doctor of ministry program uh, many, many years ago. Uh, and I asked him, uh, what do you think is might be going on here beneath the surface? And he reminded me of something we had he had taught us, actually, as part of his of the doctoral program called Intrajects. And actually, I've talked about this over the years in different spots, uh, but I had not actually developed it for something like our podcast uh, or actually even some of our leadership uh, meetings and conferences and mentoring, etc. And he actually said to me, this professor said, you know, Pete, I've trained probably, he's, re- he's retired right now, you know, and he said, I, I've trained probably 1,000 to 1,500 therapists over the years. And he goes, but the one paper I always required, uh, just of two pages, is to help them to, is to ask them to identify what are your introjects and where do they send you when they get triggered. So we'll talk about that in just a few moments. What's an introject? But there's two parts I want to get into in this podcast as we get beneath the surface, beneath the surface of our lives. What is it that drives us to keep being overcommitted? Uh, the first part of the podcast I want to talk about is. How do, you, how do you, how do I break free personally from these deep roots from inside of ourselves? And then the second is, how do I help other people break free from these roots, these introjects uh, from our teams and our ministries as we're leading them? So salvation is all about you know, being saved, wholeness. The word in Greek is sozo, and it's about being whole, not divided. It's about reconciliation with God, so being whole with God. It's about reconciliation with other people, reconciliation with them. It's also about reconciliation or being with ourselves, being whole inside of ourselves, not divided, not incongruent, that we're aware of what drives us. And you look at the ministry of Jesus, he's all about setting people free from bondage. I mean, his whole thesis in Luke chapter 4, and I've been now in the Gospel of Luke for a very long time. Uh, Luke is all about it, as Jesus says in his inaugural sermon, uh, in Luke 4.16, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me to preach, like he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then he says to, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives. He has sent me to set the oppressed free. And uh, what he's referring is not just that sin, uh, he forgives us of our sin as our Savior, uh, but he's for freeing us from the oppressive power of Satan, of demonic powers. And so his physical healings and deliverances are not just physical, it's about making people whole, setting them free from the demonic in their lives and being saved in the full sense of the world, both with God, with others in the community, but also within themselves. And actually the great story of Luke chapter 13, which I love, is a great image of the whole, encapsulates this whole um, picture of how Jesus is about releasing us from bondage releasing people from sin is the story of the bent over woman who'd been crippled for 18 years. And uh, she's bent over in what appears to be irreversible, permanent damage. Uh, And uh, she's constricted. She's in a bodily, emotional, uh, spiritual prison, and she's used to it. Uh, And I would consider being overcommitted, not just for a week, but month after month, year after year, decade after decade, which is where so many of us as leaders live, it's a bondage that impacts everything in our lives. It bends us over. That feeling of I can't shake the pressure of having so much to do in so little time, right? I can't get out of the stress and anxiety that anxiety that I carry in my body, the tightness, 
or I'm, const- I'm constantly rushing or being preoccupied or distracted and I'm fearful about the future of what could happen. But Jesus sees this woman in the synagogue. She's a believer. She's bent over. He sees her. He calls to her. He speaks to her and he lays his hands on her and he frees her. For the first time in 18 years, this bent over woman straightens up and uh, he frees her from the ultimate source of being bent over, which is demonic. And so I want to invite you today to get free, to stand up from being bent over. That is being overcommitted, overachieving, perfectionist perhaps, uh, and by getting at something inside of you called introjects. It's almost like if you can imagine uh, the EH discipleship course, which we're you do in our churches, level one and part one and part two, uh, this is now another level underneath it, and it's called introjects. Now, introjects comes out of object relations theory, uh, and basically it's referring to the millions of miles of film that are in your brain, that footage of your early experiences of your zero to 15 years of life, as you unconsciously take in past events but we're, they're in our present, these unresolved traumas or difficulties of previous generations which live inside of us, and these wounds, and we developed uh, what's called an introject. Uh, uh, we organize it into a way that we see ourselves, the way that we think, the way that we are uh, our self-worth, the way we operate in relationships. So there's 10 to 15 main introjects, and see if you identify with any of these. And I'll give you some examples of what they look like in just a few minutes. But there's about 10 to 15 main ones. And so it, it may be something like, I feel rejected. That you walk in situations and you just carry this kind of rejection inside of you. Or I feel abandoned. Or I'm being criticized or judged. Or I feel invisible. Or I feel unloved or unlovable or I'm stupid, I'm, I'm not smart enough, or I'm powerless, impotent, or I'm a loser, or I'm not competent or, or good enough, or I'll never amount to anything, or I'm behind and always will be, or I'm damaged goods, or I don't know what I'm doing, or I'll never be enough. Interjects are kind of like a lens through which we see life and interact with life. They become part of our self-concept. But once you get that dynamic in yourself that, again, I'm damaged goods or I'm uh, I'm a loser, or I'm powerless, or I'm invisible. All you then do is you create the situation around you, and it plays out. Uh, it's almost—it's—it's it's called an object relations theory, repetition compulsion. We actually create situations where we go back to what we know. It was our way of surviving and protecting ourselves when we were young, but if we're unaware, we just end up duplicating it into our adulthood, and then we end up often as leaders, overcommitted, overloaded, exhausted almost like unable to stop. So here's an example of what an interject might play out to be. So for example, you know, some uh, one person in one family, uh, two children might get being criticized all the time uh, about their report cards or always being criticized by uh, their parents. You know, why isn't, why aren't you hundred percent? It's interesting. They act out in different ways. One, one may become a CEO of a company. The other one becomes a drug addict, but it's actually the same interject playing itself out. Uh, of, you know, I'm not enough. I'll never amount to anything. I'm, I'm a loser. In, 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 uh, <clears throat> in my case, you know, Jerry has never rejected me, my lovely wife. But I have felt rejected by her many times. Again, Jerry, again, she's never done anything to reject me, but I have felt rejected by her. Uh, a, a guy may feel uh, unloved because I'm not lovable. And so he unconsciously does things to get fired from the church. 
He doesn't know how to change the pattern. I think of one fellow I knew really quite well, and he, he'd gone through five different churches, and he'd been fired by every one. And in every case, he kept blaming the board. It was the board. The church shoots its wounded. But as he got into his interjects and his family of origin dynamics, uh, it, his feeling of being unlovable was so deep they actually created the conditions to get himself fired. He would actually do things to get rejected because he was comfortable with that. I can ask somebody, on, uh, and this has happened to me, ask someone in, the, uh, in a room uh, on a team, hey, would you uh, straighten out the chairs when we finish after the meeting? And what they heard is, I'm not good enough. That's why he asked me to do those kinds of things or feel, feeling criticized. Uh, even by the request. And all I did was ask them to straighten out the chairs. Or <clears throat> uh, I, I remember myself, I'd hire consultants or be around someone with a tremendous gifting in a certain area, whether it be prophetic or teaching or leadership. And I would just project onto them. They're almost like godlike, because I'm not like that. Uh, I'm not competent. I'm not adequate. I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, I would just fall into this pattern of subservience uh, and not speaking up because they were so great. Or uh, I, I know a number of people who get degrees. Uh, another, They get degrees and, and uh, because uh, they feel stupid on the inside. And so if I get a PhD next to my name or a master's next to my name or a college degree next to my name, some title, uh, I, I won't feel stupid. And they find out that I, I, I still don't feel smart. And I know folks with PhDs that, that actually inside their interjects feel stupid. Uh, so maybe I've been rejected, for example, in your my childhood. So someone comes in late to the meeting that you're leading, and they come in late. They don't pay it really that attention to you. They seem, you know, they're distracted, thinking about something else. And so my immediate reaction may be, "You're rejecting me." So I have an attitude. And so I organize that your behavior. I interpret it, and I say to you, "You know, get lost, get out of here. You're fired. I don't want you to. I don't want to work with you." But it's really coming out of my own unresolved stuff. Um, or again, I get let go by a, a church or a ministry or a job and I project it out and say, you know, this church shoots its wounded and I create behaviors that you have no other choice but to fire me. Uh, it's rightly been said, uh, many people don't get fired, they fire themselves. Or, uh, you know, we'd be passive ag aggressive, you know, we say we're going to be somewhere at six o'clock, but we're really angry and don't know what to do about it, how to get, how to, in a sense, get back or how to, how to speak clearly. And so we show up at eight o'clock to make a point. We're not even aware we're doing it. We just show up two hours late. And maybe I go home, I had a tough day at work and I want a hug from my wife. I don't say, I need a hug, honey. But I say, you never hug me and create friction between us. Uh, so uh, uh, as one person said to me recently, I am what I achieve, Pete. I am the sum amount of my accomplishments. To be average is death. I must be the best to be loved. And it just drives him. Again, Jesus didn't work 80-hour weeks, but somehow there's something for so many of us driving us that we're not even quite sure quite how to get a handle on it. So we make statements like, he always, he never, she is. You know, the community is never there for me. Uh, well, the question is, how do you distance yourself from the community? And what do you get out of feeling distance from the community? And how'd that play out in your family of origin? So again, it's a way maybe I survived when I was young. It was the family system I was a part of. The problem is it's not biblical. It creates all kinds of relational problems. It's a slavery. It's a bondage. We end up overcommitted and frantic. We go back to what we know. 
what we're familiar with. So what do I do? How do I, how do I break free from this? Well, uh, number one, I, I got to become aware of it. And again, integrate my story of my past into my present. That's, I mean, listen, authentic spirituality is, is being awake. It's, it's being conscious. It's knowing why you do, you know, what you do. Uh, it's slowing down to integrate, you know, all the parts of who I am. Uh, and so I become aware. That's number one. And secondly, I answer the question, where does this come from in my history? Uh, where, what's, what's this all about? That's why, again, one of the great contributions of emotionally healthy discipleship is, is deeply transforming our lives. But for those of us listening to our podcast here in leadership, it's critically important that we go, uh, we, we, like an archaeological tell, we're going deeper and deeper into our family of origin scripts genograms and even our introjects. And then I, as I become aware and I answer the question, where does this come from? And then I exchange my automatic triggered response with a new and a different response. And I begin to act in a sense counter instinctually to what maybe my body or feelings are naturally gravitating toward. But of course that requires slowing down and every week I like to offer a free resource on this podcast. And this week I want to invite you to slow down uh, by doing two things. One is uh, to perhaps download the free ebook on Sabbath that we offer. Uh, and uh, it's a that's, that's step one of slowing down. It's beginning when I want to help people slow down to be reflective. The first principle I invite them to is to do sa- Sabbath on a weekly basis, a 24-hour period to stop, rest, uh, stop, rest, delight, and contemplate God. And so this free book, you can download at emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. Sabbath, that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. And then on June 15th of this year, we're going to be offering a leadership one-day uh, opportunity, a four-hour event from 12 to 4 Eastern time. And I want to invite you to that event. It's uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash one-day. And we'll talk about what is a new leadership scorecard for success in our day. And then how do we integrate, again, a slowdown spirituality where we're reflective and build healthy churches. So again, there's two parts to this podcast. The first we've dealt with is how do I get free from the roots or interjects inside myself? How can I position myself so God can work in me and begin to get balanced enough so people can relate to me? Uh, and I can then, in a sense, conceptualize my life material, my history in a way that enables my own growth in Jesus where I become a gift to the world. So that's, that. it's got to start with us. We've got to get free from Jesus so we can set everybody free around us. So that's what we always say, as goes a leader, so goes the church. Our first act of love for the world is let Jesus change us. We follow him and we do the work of discipleship, uh, allowing him to form Christ himself by the Holy Spirit inside of us. But then the second question is, how do I help break, how do I help free others uh, on my team and in, in the ministries that I'm leading? How do I, how do I free people? So they're, they're bent over, overloaded, overcommitted, perhaps easily triggered, reactive, transferring their unresolved stuff onto me as a leader. Now, listen, we are to be the most mature people in the room as leaders. That's what we're, we're to do. Again, we're, we're going first. And by working deeply on our story, we can then relate to others and connect with theirs. But we can't bring people where we haven't gone. So in a sense, like a medical doctor, when you come into a doctor and you're not feeling well, they, they'll hopefully organize 
what's happening to you and give you a framework, a sense of hope, make sense of your symptoms. Um, in the same way, when people come to us in, in their lives uh, and we're serving Jesus in some level of leadership, uh, we are helping reframe what's going on with them and doing some hopefully serious discipleship with them. So, so here's, I'm going to give you four or five things, actually five, that I want to invite you to as you think about leading your teams and you want to help them break their introjects in them. So number one is this, we, we, we model love to those around us by being a constant object for them over a long period of time. In other words, we model the love of Jesus by serving as constant, I'm going to use the word objects, for them over a long period of time. I'm using the word objects because it comes out of object relations theory. In other words, people come into relationship with us and to our ministries that we're leading to see, in a sense, they're un- they don't know it, but they're, they want to know if they can change. They can break the cycle of how they're functioning. And what we do is we are hopefully mature enough that we help them reframe and reinterpret their lives and their experiences in a healthy way in Jesus. So we model love for people. And we understand that some people are going to, in a sense, use us as if we're part of their history. And they unknowingly project their anxiety. They transfer their, in a sense, their unresolved stuff onto us. But we want to create a, a safe space so people can mature and develop new strengths and new patterns. And and, and some, when people come into uh, under our leaderships, they're, they're, they're wondering and hoping that we have the capacity to listen to them and observe them and understand them and really create a safe space for them. But we want them to be aware, begin to be aware of their anxieties and their reactions and be mature enough that we can, in a sense, uh, we're re- reparenting, we're, we're functioning as a mature presence for them that they've not had before. But we've got to be able to manage, in a sense, what's called often our counter countertransference and our own defenses and, and not get caught up into distancing or taking tra- or taking sides or you know, getting all triggered ourselves. And so we want to model the love of Jesus by, number one, being a constant object of the love of God for people over time. That's the beauty of it. We don't do therapy. We're not therapists. We're pastors and we're leaders. We're hopefully mothers and fathers of the faith for those around us functioning as Jesus, you know, under him. But number two is then we help people, uh, we help them name and label their journey, their emotional journey of life. We help others begin to name and label their emotional journey. That's number two. We've got to ask the Holy Spirit to give us and to give them insight. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us to all truth. And when you name something, kind of like the demoniac in Mark 5, we tame it interjects need to be named and tamed. That's why that list I gave you earlier is so helpful. You know, um, uh, if we can help people like maybe identify some of the uh, scripts that live deeply inside of them, it'll help them get more free. Like I feel rejected or I feel abandoned or I'm, I'm being criticized when they're not, or, or I'm, I feel invisible or I feel unloved or I'm powerless or I'm stupid or I'm a loser or I'm not competent. And we can help them begin to re- uh, unpack that in their family history, remembering there's layers of, again, oppression in people. And remember, Jesus came to release captives. That's what salvation's about. Luke 13, people are bent over. We want to free people and helping them name it and label it is a huge step in, in, in beginning to help them reframe life. And then thirdly, we begin to, to saturate uh, 
our time with people with the gospel and, and God's positive attributions uh, of them. In other words, we want to help people get a, a healthy sense of, of understanding, a healthy sense of self. That is, a, a healthy self that does healthy self-care is I got the capacity to hold myself in loving regard and to cherish myself. Uh, yet at the same time, I can fully recognize my imperfections as a flawed human being. I'll, I'll say it again. It's, it's important, and I think as we, if we help people begin to, uh, you know, integrate their stories is and, and get the gospel is, I can uh, we can hold ourselves in loving regard and cherish ourselves while at the same time fully recognizing our imperfections as flawed human beings. I'm a saint and I'm a sinner. We apply the gospel. Grace enables me to recognize I'm fully human. Uh, I'm a sinner and saint. And so the grace of the gospel in Jesus who died and rose for me, I can see, look at my shadow side. I don't, have to, I don't have to hide from my humanity. I don't have to live split within myself. I recognize I'm, I'm, I'm integrated is really the word. I'm strong and I'm weak. I'm competent and I'm incompetent. You know, I'm, I can be kind. I can be hurtful. I can be smart. I can be ignorant. I can be warm. I can be cold. I'm a sinner and a saint. It's not all or nothing. And I get the gospel integrated into my being. And then fourthly, I, 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 as I'm helping other people, I pray. I really believe in the power of God, uh, that like Jesus, we, we see people, we lay our hands on people, we free people from the oppression that ultimately is demonic. Whether it keeps them, uh, like in our case, it may be that we're overcommitted all the time, something's driving us as almost like a crack addicts, uh, but people have all kinds of uh, behaviors that flow out of uh, negative scripts that they're carrying deep within that they play out over and over again in work and small groups and churches and families and marriages and singleness and relationships. And we pray because we believe in the power of God. We lay hands on people like Jesus did. And then fifthly, we build healthy communities. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest gifts we can give the world is we are in the process of building healthy community in the name of Jesus, where people feel safe and included and valued and experience uh, the gospel and the and the positive attributions of the gospel, I, I, I believe creating healthy biblical community is one of the greatest gifts we can give the world as we do that in the name of Jesus. But again, it begins with us breaking our own interjects that often keep us so overcommitted and running so fast um, and getting free. Now, I want to end with a story uh, of a person who kind of worked through their interjects and what it looked like. But let me invite you again, as I, before I tell this story, to uh, download that free ebook on Sabbath uh, to help begin slowing down and become reflective uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. Uh, begin that process. And then there's this leadership one day event we're offering on June 15th uh, around really an introduction to this whole way of life that leading from the inside out to four hour event with uh Myself, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day. Check it out on our website. And hey, listen, if you've got any questions you want to send to me, uh, just please send that to askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. Uh, it's always been helpful when folks like yourself send that in. Uh, I, I gather them, some I respond to immediately. Others I'll integrate into a podcast at some point. Just again, askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. All right, let me close this story with a a little testimony of someone who began to, what it looks like to begin to move out of that compulsion uh, of overcommitment into a more slow down life. So uh, this was a friend of mine who's been, who's been actually in pastoral leadership for many years. And he goes, uh, I've been thinking about this issue of my scripts for the last 
15 years of my family of origin and how it shaped my personal life and leadership. And it really comes from my dad, who was all about responsibility and hard work. My home was stable, loving, and Christ-centered, but my dad was emotionally cut off. I felt a lot of expectation from him, and there was little encouragement or affirmation. In fact, when he passed away, my wife asked me if he ever said, I would ever told me he was proud of me. And the truth is, he never did. Because what the script that I was given was be responsible, work hard, and achieve. That's how you succeed, and that's how you get love, achieving. But he writes, in my personal life, there was always this compulsive busyness, always feeling the need to achieve and produce. For most of my life, I didn't know how to relax or be still or be quiet. I was ambitious and driven and a workaholic. I certainly knew nothing of Sabbath and solitude until my mid-40s. And I would have judged people with a healthy rhythm. I would have called them underachievers. But the deeper reality was that this low-grade, nagging feeling was that I was not enough. I was never enough. I was an approval addict who was connected to the script, and it was always a challenge for me to slow down. And uh, so my whole script as a pastor was growing and building the church. And I was, as a result, physically and emotionally unavailable to my wife and kids. As far as my leadership, I was hard driving, ambitious, and workaholic. And I got a lot of pats on the back for that. And that's when I began to realize that some of the things that people will applaud in your life are the very things that will perpetuate an unhealthy soul. And so in my leadership, this script made me focus on growth and size. I had little attention or energy to actually making real disciples. And I would have articulated my motivation as a desire to reach people for Christ. But the shadow reality is that much of my obsession and with success and my obsession with growth was really about me and my need to prove that I was actually enough and that I would get validation. But slowly, incrementally, inch by inch, God has been slowly rewriting that script in my life. Beautifully said, or slowly rewriting my introject. Well said. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you this day as you've heard this message. And may you experience what that woman experienced in Luke 13, standing up free, looking at the eyes of Jesus who looks at you. Be blessed in Jesus' name.